In this episode of 2000 Books, we learn how to move from blame, fear, and victim mindset to radical responsibility, trust, and empowerment. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. Books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, self-help, and much more. And I'm your host, Manny Vaya. Jim Detmer is a co-founder of the Conscious Leadership Group, a leadership consulting and training organization. Throughout his career, Jim has coached leaders from the Fortune 500 companies to early-stage entrepreneurs. Today, we're talking about his outstanding book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, A New Paradigm for Sustainable Success. Jim, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Uh, Thank you, Manny. Great to be with you. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time again. I know last time we recorded this call and unfortunately we had some audio problems from my side and hence we have to do this again. And you have been gracious enough to do this again with me. I'm happy to do it. It's not a problem at all. All right. Um, Now let's set the stage for our listeners. Let's tell our listeners why should an ambitious entrepreneur read this book, learn from this book? Hmm. Well, the way I would say it in a nutshell is the probability of you being successful goes up dramatically the more present you are. Mm -hmm. So there's an assumption underneath that. It's a pretty broad-based assumption. In our experience, the probability of you being successful at everything goes up the more present you are. You'll be more successful parenting your children, making love to your spouse, you know, playing golf, <laughs> writing a sonata, or starting a business or an enterprise. Presence just simply means that you're totally here now in a non-triggered, non-reactive way. And the more we can cultivate presence, quite frankly, the more successful we're going to be. So that's the big idea of why I would say anybody ought to be exploring conscious leadership. Absolutely. And uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the book, I want our listeners to kind of learn more about you. So tell us your business story and what led you to writing this book. Okay, great. Well, my story is that all of my life I've been a seeker. I've been a curious person who's been looking for the answers to some questions that were meaningful to me. Questions like, how do you find peace? How do leaders differentiate themselves? How do you create world-class relationships? So my seeking has taken me to some of the greatest teachers in the world and led me in many, many different paths. So one of the paths that it led me into was the world of executive coaching. And when I started coaching people, I noticed that the models that we were creating, my co-authors, Kaylee Clamp and Diana Chapman, the models we were creating were incredibly useful to people to reduce drama in their life, to reduce drama in the workplace, and therefore to allow people to be more effective and more efficient. So I started doing executive coaching, and then I started working with teams, and now basically I spend all of my time working with leaders who are deeply motivated to transform their relationship to productivity and leadership. Yep. And um, I, I know you've, you've had uh, quite a career in the executive coaching space. So let's, let's jump into the book and let's, uh, let's set the frame for our listeners. And what I mean by that, let's set the background. Like we're talking about conscious leadership and um, what I want our listeners to get from 
kind of the next few minutes is the whole idea of the premise behind the book about the line below the line and mm. the four ways of looking at the world. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of um, giving you a little uh, seeds of uh, information. But I, what, what I want to do is kind of go, go over a 10,000 feet overview of the book as to Good. how it's laid out. And I think these ideas help us define that. Okay, great. So one of the big ideas that the book starts with is making a distinction between content and context. So one of the ideas is that as an entrepreneur, you're always having conversation. You're having conversation inside your own head. If you have teammates with teammates, with uh, customers, clients, conversation is always occurring. And when you look at conversation, it has two pieces. It has content. That's what we're talking about. So right now, you and I are talking about the subject of leadership. That's the content of our conversation. And when I coach entrepreneurs and leaders, one of the things I'll often do is say, what are the conversations you're having right now? And tell me about the content of those conversations. So that's easy. Everybody gets that. Now, context is how we're having the conversation. So content, what we're talking about, and context, how are we having the conversation? And what we've discovered is that great leaders pay as much attention to context as they do content. Mm -hmm. So to help them do that, we've identified some different contexts or ways to have a conversation. And one of them is this thing we call the four ways of leading. And in that, you're either having a conversation from to me, by me, through me, or as me. Real simple little phrases. If the context from which you're having a conversation is to me, then you're experiencing life as happening to you. So let's say you're having a hard time getting financing, or you're running out of time, or an idea that you've iterated on several times is coming up blank. And when you're in to me context, it feels like this is happening to you. So you're at the effect of life. In psychology, it's called the locus of control. It means that you believe that what is controlling your life is outside of you, whether it's the weather or the stock market or your dysfunctional computer or your kid's ADHD, whatever it is. We believe that the cause of our experience is outside of us. That's why we call it to me. And we say that most people live most of the time in the to me box. By the way, that doesn't mean that they're suffering or necessarily having a horrible day because if you're in to me, sometimes you think that life is happening to you in a good way. Like you just, you know, shot three over par in your latest round of golf or, you know, you won an award or mm -hmm. your significant other was really kind to you last night. Mm -hmm. Still, the cause of your experience is outside of you. So this is the first state of consciousness. And then the second state of consciousness is by me. And this is a big shift. This is what the whole book is about. It's about changing from to me to by me. And in by me, you start to realize that you are the creator of your experience. That doesn't mean that there isn't traffic on the highway, but the traffic can either be the cause of your upset or you can be with the traffic in a way that you realize you're going to create your experience of the traffic, whether it's going to cause you stress or whether you're going to see it as an opportunity for reflection or phone calls or listening to some great music. In the by me space, we take radical responsibility for creating our world. And so the locus of control moves inside and we start to see ourselves as the creator of our experience.
And then the third context is through me. And this is a very different place. This emerges actually often for most people a little bit later in life, in midlife or after midlife. After you've realized that you can create a life that you want and you can create successful relationships and projects and you can be in control of your own experience of happiness and things like that, then people often start saying, is there something bigger that wants to happen in the world through me? So this is a different thing in when you're in the by me space, you're in a creator mode. When you're in the through me space, you're in kind of a surrendered mode where you're listening for what wants to come into the world through you. I was just having a conversation today with a guy who's a very, very senior executive in a world famous company. And he's 47 years old. He's been incredibly successful. He's learned how to move through life from by me. He doesn't live in to me or victim consciousness much. But he's really asking the question, is there something that wants to come into the world through me that I could be kind of a conduit for? It's really a cool set of questions. And then the last context is what we call as me. And this is just where you realize that all separation is an illusion and you can actually be one with everything that is occurring. This is a cornerstone of many of the major world religions. And when you lead as an as me leader, you have a very different set of qualities and competencies and your effect in the world is very different. The book is largely about moving from to me to by me. Those are the contexts that we start dealing with in the book. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, as you said, the book is largely about dealing, like going from a victim mindset to going towards a mindset of taking responsibility and taking ownership of our life in many ways. And yes. in, what, in, in some ways, you define that as going from below the line to above the line. I'd like for you to elucidate on that a little bit. Good. So when we teach leaders, we use this really simple illustration. We just draw a line on a you know, a flip chart. And we say at any point in time, we're either below the line or above the line. When we're below the line, what that means is that we're in a triggered reactive state. And it means that we're closed and we're defensive and we're wanting to prove that we're right. So the triggered reactivity is that we're experiencing some sort of threat. Something out there in our environment feels like a threat to us. And whenever we get in a threatened state, this is just neurobiology, we go into what we call a fight, flight, freeze reactivity. These are all the fear-based reactivities. So when we're below the line, we're experiencing that there's a threat out there. We get triggered and reactive. Literally, a chemical cocktail of adrenaline and norepinephrine and cortisol gets released into our body. And then we're either going to fight reactively or we're going to freeze and get paralyzed or we're going to flee and run away. We can do this all different ways. And when that happens, we get closed to learning, we get defensive, wanting to prove our egoic uh, attachment to being right becomes a big deal. This is what causes a lot of drama. It causes a lot of problems for entrepreneurs because when they get scared, then they lock down on proving that their idea is right rather than staying in a learning, listening, curious state. That's below the line. Mm -hmm. When we're above the line, we're in a state of safety or security or trust inside of ourselves. And instead of being closed, we're open. Instead of being defensive, we're curious. And instead of wanting to prove we're right, we're deeply interested in learning. 
fact, when we're above the line, learning is our highest priority. We believe that the world is fundamentally friendly. It doesn't mean that stuff doesn't happen. It does. But that stuff that happens is for us. It's for our growth and our awakening and our maturing. So we're, we're open and curious and want to learn everything we can possibly learn. And this is, this is the above the line state of consciousness. So one of the things we teach leaders is that one of the first things they, they do is just get really good at asking themselves in any point in time, where am I? Am I above the line or below the line? And this actually takes some skill in self-awareness to begin to discern whether you're above or below the line. But it's a great practice because when you're below the line, there are just certain things that aren't available to you that are available to you when you're above the line. That makes sense, Manny. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jim, um, uh, I mean, we're talking about going from in this book. We're gonna, we're talking about going from below the line to above the line, from unconscious to conscious leadership. And you have outlined fifteen commitments uh, in the book. But here, I want to only focus on three because that's the way we well, we like to focus on Great. <laughs> a few and like really drill into them and yeah I know we won't have the time to go through 15 for that people need to go grab the book <laughs> um the first one I think which kind of sets the frame for um the whole commitments um, the 15 commitments is taking radical responsibility mm-hmm. let's talk about that great so we say that when you're below the line you're in a state of blame and there's a lot of complaining. And again, you believe that life is happening to you. So at that point, you're taking less than 100% responsibility. You're, you're in this experience of at the effect of. The shift move here is to say, wow, am I willing to take radical responsibility for creating my life? And we call that taking one hundred percent responsibility so what happens when you do this is blame and criticism drop out of your life that includes by the way blaming yourself a lot of entrepreneurs highly motivated people they might blame people or circumstances or conditions but they also blame themselves a lot in fact Manny, we were joking about this at the when you and i started talking today we Mm -hmm. recorded this you know a few weeks ago and there was static on the line Mm mm-hmm and you were in a place of like self-criticism, like blaming yourself. Yeah. And I was joking with you, but I said, wow, that's an interesting thing. You could do that if you want, but it's actually not necessary. <laughs> it, it just occurred. And I chose to see that needing to re-record it must have been for us in some way. And I took my radical responsibility by revealing to you that during the call, I did hear static when you spoke, and I didn't speak up about it. So... Taking radical responsibility is so different than placing blame and criticism on the world. So we watch leaders move through life saying, how can I take responsibility for what's occurring in my life? And that question is, an, is a liberating question for leaders. Yeah, and, and, and it's an interesting, interesting distinction you make there, uh, just as an example about what I said when we started this conversation today. The fact that responsibility is not about taking the blame for yourself. It's not about putting the blame on ourselves because that's what I think it's instinctive to do when we think, okay, yes. let me take charge, let me take responsibility. It's all my fault and I will correct it. 
Yes, exactly. And Manny, what you notice is underneath that, you've got to believe that something is wrong or there's a problem. So if we stay with this fun thing that happened with you and me, in order to blame yourself, you've got to believe that the static on the line the last time was a problem. In other words, it was something that shouldn't have happened. And whenever we move into life thinking that something is a problem or a mistake, then the natural tendency, like you said, is to figure out who or what is to blame for the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, what if the static on the line wasn't a problem? What if it was actually just an occurrence? And not only that, what if it was an occurrence from which both you and I could learn something? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, if something is a positive learning opportunity, there's no longer a need to blame yourself or anybody else. Now, this is totally counterintuitive. That's why we call it radical responsibility, because most people don't live this way. But what if a static online just occurred so you and I could learn something? Maybe you learned something about, you know, the technology of your uh, podcast. Maybe I learned something about speaking up. Mm-hmm. What if it was there as a gift to us? Well, then you don't need to blame yourself and you don't need to blame, you know, the technology. And I certainly don't need to blame you. We just both get curious about what we can learn. And in our experience, that creates a radically different relationship to all of life when we start taking responsibility and ending blame and criticism. Yeah, it's it's a shift from this rigidity in some ways to curiosity and wonder and yeah. learningness or opening to learn, opening to, yeah. It actually makes life a hell of a lot of fun. If you, you kind of get in a dance with life where you go, wow, what if life is really here as one big learning laboratory and nothing's going wrong and I can learn from anything? It just makes life really rich and fun. Absolutely. Um, now, now let's move on to the next one, the next commitment that I think is really important for our um, for our listeners um that's uh, learning through curiosity because mm-hmm. as you say i mean we thrive on being right or the ego thrives on being right let's talk about yes. that yeah well if you think about it when you were a little kid and most of us you know went to, through some sort of normal schooling public or private some of us were homeschooled but When you think about it at school, you weren't rewarded for making mistakes. Pretty soon you figured out, okay, if I'm going to compete in the spelling bee, I'm going to feel a lot better at the end of the day if I get it right, rather than have to misspell a word and sit down. So early on in life, we learned that getting it right tends to make us feel better. In fact, what really goes at a deep psychological level, the ego doesn't even believe it can exist unless it's right. Now, here's the deal. We say all the time that being right is not the problem. Needing to prove you're right is what causes the problem. Mm -hmm. So I work with a lot of leaders, and a lot of them are incredibly smart. Some of them still need to prove in every conversation that they're smart and they're right. And when they do that, they lose out on massive opportunities for curiosity and wonder. Now, if you look at most of the great entrepreneurs, 
they actually are really good at staying in a state of curiosity and wonder. Mm-hmm. That's what makes them so good at disrupting an industry or innovating a new product. When they get scared and they get threatened and then they need to start proving to everybody they're right and they lose their curiosity, then they've gotten into a sticky place where their effectiveness is going to diminish greatly. So all we're saying is when you're above the line, you're just asking yourself, what can I learn from this? Hmm. You know, so it's, li- it's learning to live in this childlike state of wonder and let go of needing to prove that you're right. In a former career, Manny, I was a marriage counselor. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'd work with couples. They'd come in to work with me and Usually they were in conflict over some issue. And invariably, after you listen to them for just 10 or 15 minutes, you can see that they're both trying to prove to the other person that they're right. They're no longer curious. They're not open. They're not wanting to learn from the other person and from life. And therefore, the relationship starts to get stuck. It starts to get embedded in drama. So curiosity is the great shift move to take us out of our egoic attachment to proving that we're right. Yeah. And as you pointed out, like as entrepreneurs, it's uh, it's absolutely a requirement for us to not get stuck with our own way of thinking and not get stuck with trying to prove ourselves right because that usually is a recipe for disaster <laughs> for for especially in early stages of a business if if all you want to do is prove right we'll probably end up having nothing uh that our pro- our customers love or nothing that really moves the needle for our company um right. it's it's entrepreneurship in many ways is a, is a is a journey of discovery constant discovery constant learning and um, even the most uh, innovative thing in the startup world today the whole lean startup movement yeah. is based around the idea of who can learn the fastest and learn from external like validated learning learning from our customers yes. the fastest yes and you know we all I think most of us now believe in lean and agile and things like that, you know, where we're iterating, 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 high-speed feedback loops where we're getting information. But if we're honest, all of us know what it's like to get attached to an idea, mm-hmm. to want to validate our idea because we think we're going to be a failure if we don't or people will think less of us or we might lose the argument, you know. We all do it. It, it. As long as we have an ego, we're going to do that. It, we're just saying that great leaders learn to notice when they're doing that, and then they develop particular skills to be able to shift out of that pattern of reactivity. Mm, yeah. And that's the, that's the work, I guess. That's in some <laughs> ways a work of a lifetime. Yes, it is. You know, I've been practicing conscious living for 45 years. I'm 63 years old and I got committed to this as a teenager, you know, and I still go below the line on a regular basis every day. I still drift out of presence. I still get into blaming or I still get attached to being right. It happens all the time. That's not the issue. The issue is how quickly do we notice that we've drifted out of presence or gone below the line and how quickly can we shift? We, we like to say everybody falls up the horse. That's not the issue. The issue is how quickly can you get back up on the horse? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, now let's move on to the next big idea, the next key commitment to leadership, conscious leadership. And that is 
feeling all the feelings. And I really want to emphasize this one because as ambitious people, as ambitious entrepreneurs, we can sometimes uh, lull ourselves or we can sometimes, or, you know, just being in corporate environment, we can start believing that feelings don't really have a place in this business world. <laughs> so t- tell us about it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And, you know, that's many of the clients we start working with. They say they want to be analytical, data-driven. They don't want feelings to be part of decision-making. They don't want feelings to be part of their work environment. And I say to people, that's great. The problem is that you're a mammal and you've got a limbic brain system. And that limbic system is designed to give us all kinds of information that comes to us through the world of feelings. Now, we all know this, and everybody's got a relationship with feelings where either they're suppressing their feelings or repressing their feelings or they're expressing their feelings in volatile and kind of destructive ways. And what we're arguing for is just simply what Dan Goldman started researching at Harvard years ago around emotional intelligence. Because we now know that long-term success is more correlated to EQ, emotional intelligence, than IQ. Now, that's a big statement. You need a certain IQ to get in the game. But once you're in the game, EQ, this emotional intelligence, is a real differentiator. And emotional intelligence, in its simplest form, is just the practiced ability to know what you're feeling in any given moment. And because we're feeling creatures because we have this limbic system we're actually feeling something all the time we've reduced it kind of down to what we call the five core feelings and they're going on all the time you're either feeling sad scared angry joyful or the fifth one's a funny one it's sexual feelings which are directly tied to creativity so at any moment in time leaders are feeling one or more of those five core feelings in fact when we practice with leaders one of the check-ins we'll do when we're starting a meeting is just everybody just go around the room and just say, what's your current feeling? Like if I did that right now with you in this moment, man, I'd say, well, if I check in, I'm feeling uh, mm-hmm. some joy, which feels like excitement. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of fear is here, so that would be scared. And some creative energy, so some sexual energies here, because I love this co-creative process with you. Mm-hmm. So the first key to leaders is, can you identify your feelings? And then can you be with those feelings in a very responsible way so that they move through your body? Feelings are just energy in the body. They move through the body. And then here's the real cool thing. All five of those feelings are designed to give us a whole set of knowings or uh, wisdom, if you will. So anger is designed to help us have boundaries and what we need to say no to. And if you're an entrepreneur and you don't know how to say no, you're dead in the water. Mm -hmm. And one of the keys to being able to say no is anger because anger is this energy that says something needs to stop. Mm -hmm. I need to shift my pattern here. And sadness is just telling us something needs to be let go of. A lot of times, you know, entrepreneurs fall in love with an idea. And when they let go of an idea, they've got to feel sad about that, literally grieve it so that they let it go and they're open to the next new idea. And fear, for example, is telling us something needs to be paid attention to. If you can't feel fear, you're not going to pay attention to the information that life is giving you. So this feel your feelings is the ability to know what I'm feeling, release my feeling and learn from my feeling. And when you can do that, your decision making and creativity 
quotient goes up dramatically. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the the key here is for us to actually be able to work with the feelings rather than in spite of the feelings. Oh, that's a great way to say it. That's exactly right, to work with them instead of in spite of them because they're actually fantastic allies mm -hmm. for us doing what we want to do in life. We just don't know how to work with them yet. They, you know, for many entrepreneurs, they're very driven. They like to get lots of stuff done and they believe that feelings are just a distraction to getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. When the problem is then feelings will be a distraction to getting stuff done because they'll be like an anchor slowing you down because you're not feeling your feelings all the way through to completion. Yeah, and um, t tell us a little bit about why, if we don't feel the feelings and if we don't really spend time on them, why do they weigh us down? Why do they stop us? Ah, great. So most people know what it's like to um, have repressed a feeling. Just think about, let's say you're in your relationship, your personal relationship, and you have some anger come up, mm -hmm. and you don't feel that anger you don't really let it come into your body and you don't release it from your body. You kind of suppress the anger. And you know what that leads to is feelings are things that happen in your body and they come through the body in 90 seconds or less. But if you don't let them flow through the body, what happens is these feelings turn into attitudes or moods. So anger, if you don't move it through your body, turns into resentment or bitterness. Mm. Fear turns into pervasive anxiety or apprehensiveness or sadness can turn into depression. So the deal is if you don't learn how to move the feeling through, it kind of calcifies or hardens into a mood or a disposition. And that mood or disposition can affect your entire life. And the deal is it doesn't have to be that way. We just had a new grandson come into the world. We have six grandchildren and our youngest one is like three weeks old. And it's so fun to be with him because he feels his feelings instantly and they just go through his body. You know, if he's angry because his diaper's wet or he hasn't been fed, he just screams. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't hold on to it. You know, it's not like he becomes resentful towards his mother. You know, like, I hate you. You're a bad mother. You should have changed my diaper and fed me. He doesn't do that at all. He just <laughs> feels his anger, expresses it, gets his needs met, and moves on. Mm -hmm. It's not until we get to be three, four, five, six years old, that we stop being able to just feel our feelings, get them out and move on. And then they start to turn into this sludge, which weighs us down. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Um, and let, now, Jim, let's jump, like, let's kind of uh, delve into action items, because here at 2000 Books, we strongly believe that there's no learning without action. And I want to give our listeners very specific action items so that they can go back home and apply these ideas in their life and see the results. So maybe we can like uh, talk about how we can apply each of these three uh, in a methodical fashion. I know you have a responsibility worksheet. You have the whole process of how to work with feelings. So can we do that for each of them? Sure. Let's start with feelings since we're there. Mm -hmm. Here's a very practical thing. And Manny, just for the fun of it, let me just coach you the way I'd coach, you know, an entrepreneur. You be you be the coachee for a minute. And I'll just I'll show do you that. how to do Absolutely. Okay. Oops. So the first question you want to learn to ask yourself is, what feeling is here now? 
So not what feeling was here an hour ago or last night or yesterday or what you imagine you're going to feel tonight. But just if you tune in right now and just kind of go with the five core feelings and check, is there sadness, fear, anger, joy, or creative energy here for you right now? So can I just say it's excitement and nervousness and maybe that's made up of other things? Beautiful. So excitement is usually part of joy. Mm-hmm. So there's some excitement here. And then there's some nervousness here. And does that nervousness feel a little bit like some anxiety or fear? Yeah, it's probably fear because I don't know how you're going to question me in this interview. <laughs> okay, fabulous. Yeah. Yes, a lot of times when we're in a space of the unknown, what comes up is a little bit of nervousness or apprehension or anxiety or fear. Now, Right now, Manny, you've differentiated yourself from a lot of people in that in the now moment, when asked, what are you feeling, you can articulate an actual feeling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of people we work with, when we first start working with them, we'll say, uh, hey, what are you feeling right now? And they'll say, I feel like this is a stupid idea. (laughs) Or I feel like we're losing market share. Or I feel like we're missing the window of opportunity. You notice they're saying the word I feel, but it's being followed by a thought, not Mm -hmm. by a feeling. Mm -hmm. Yep. So one of the first keys to developing emotional intelligence is to be able to ask yourself in the now moment, what feeling is here and be able to answer it with a simple feeling statement, just like you did. I feel excited and I feel nervous. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Now, here's the second question. Can you just take one breath, literally a breath, this is a key shift move, take a breath and see, can you just welcome your excitement and your nervousness? Can you just let them be here? Yeah. Done. Yeah. Yeah. This is important because what we've been trained to do is resist our feelings. So once we start to say, what feelings here? And we go, wow, there's some nervousness. I'm scared. Then we think that's a bad thing and we try to push it away. Mm. So the second question after what feeling is here is, can you just welcome the feeling? Mm. Now, what you discover, and you know this, is that when you welcome a feeling or allow a feeling instead of resisting the feeling, it'll just move through. Mm -hmm. Got it? Yeah. So that brings you back into presence. So now you're just here having a feeling, being present in this conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. And by the way, the other thing that comes from this is connection and human relationship. Because again, because we're mammals and not reptiles, we have this limbic brain system, which allows us to connect. As soon as you say to me, hey, I feel excited and I feel nervous, because of what's called the mirroring neurons in the brain, my limbic system starts to interact with your limbic system and it creates a human connection which is fabulous if you want to be great at creating products together or selling products to potential clients, knowing this nervous system. So the very practical thing on commitment number three, feeling your feelings is, what feeling is here now? And can I just give it one breath of acceptance? Mm. Those two questions start to transform your relationship to your feelings. They're very simple and very practical. Got it. All right, you want the practical application of taking radical responsibility? Yeah, let's do that. Let's stay with questions as well. So the question I'd like to invite people to ask here is a question like this. How am I creating 
what's happening right now? Or how am I keeping this situation going? So the way I like to look at this is, imagine that you're having uh, stress. This is a good one because most entrepreneurs can really relate to stress. More to do than they imagine time allows, more to do than money allows. <laughs> so they live in a fairly constant stressed in experience, right? Mm -hmm. So the question that we want to do from radical responsibility, stress is not something that happens to us. Well, from radical responsibility, we take responsibility for stressing ourselves. That's a wild way to say it. But in our work, we believe stress is actually optional. So when I get with clients, I'll often say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm doing great, man, but I'm really stressed out. And I say, great. The next question I ask is, how are you stressing yourself? Because <laughs> what you discover, Manny, is in order to stress yourself, you have to be believing certain things about the world. Mm. And those beliefs are in your head. They're not axiomatic laws of the universe. They are actually beliefs that you're making up about the world. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about radical responsibility, we say, how am I creating this experience? So if you're saying, wow, I'm really stressed. Great. Radical responsibility is, how are you stressing yourself? Mm. Now, another great question for radical responsibility is, how do you keep this stressing pattern going in your life? I say to clients oftentimes, if you were to teach a workshop on how to be stressed out, you know, literally, imagine a PowerPoint, 10 bullets on how to be stressed out. What kind of things would you teach people? If I want to come to a workshop to be stressed out, what kind of things would you have to do to be stressed out? Huh. <laughs> well, most people can identify the things that they're doing that cause them to be stressed out. So how am I creating this situation? How am I keeping it going? And then the third powerful question around radical responsibility is, am I willing to shift it? Mm. Am I willing to stop stressing myself? Now, what you discover with entrepreneurs is we could do a whole podcast on this. They have a superstitious attachment to staying stressed out. Literally, they get hooked on the chemical cocktail of adrenaline and norepinephrine and cortisol, which are the stress hormones, the stress cocktail. And they believe that if they're not stressing themselves, they're not going to work hard. They're not going to be on their edge. They're not going to come up with great ideas. And exactly the opposite is true. A little bit of stress is a good thing, but the level of stress that most entrepreneurs live at is actually counterproductive to their success. Mm. That's that's so true because uh, there's this notion that we must have a lot of pressure in order to perform. Um, and as you said, there's, you know, we need some of that pressure to perform at our very best. Yes. But not like a constant humming pressure that's always right. there and never letting up. Yeah. You know, I live with that pressure all day long and I need to, you know have three cocktails to wind down at the end of the night or mindlessly surf the web and I can barely sleep because I'm so stressed out and all that is under our control. That's what we learned from radical responsibility. And then the third one you want to explore was curiosity. And the practical thing there is if you're going to choose curiosity, it's, hmm, what can I learn from this situation being just the way it is? Mm. 
So what can I learn from this being exactly like it is? Not what can I learn to change it, but what can I learn from this situation being just the way it is? And when you start asking that question and inviting people on your team and people you have relationships with to get curious about life, it really changes the game. It creates true learning environments. So what can I learn from this situation? And another question that's fun to ask around this one is, what am I needing to prove that I'm right about? Mm. Not what am I right about? That's a different question. What am I needing to prove to people that I'm right about? Because that's when the ego is attached. And if you ask that question, you'll find that there's usually four or five things in your life that you're really needing to prove to somebody that you're right about. You know, you're needing to prove that your political view is right. (laughs) You know, and this we're talking right in the midst of political season. You know, and in the midst of this political season, all you have to do is go to a cocktail party where everybody's trying to prove that their political position is right. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we do that, we stop listening and stop learning from each other. Yeah, they are counter to each other. Aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Wow, Jim, this has been great. This has been a lot of learning and a lot of fun learning. So uh, please tell our listeners how to get hold of you, where to find you, your book, and your teachings. Sure. The best place to go is to our website, which is conscious, just like the word, C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, conscious.is. Conscious.is. Go to the website. We've got all kinds of things for you to take and use. We've taken all these 15 commitments and turned them into these fun animations. You can watch those and um, you can reach me through the website. I'm Jim at conscious.is and you can reach me that way in any way that we can support people in, you know, growing in conscious leadership. That's really what we're here to do. We're here to support the expansion of conscious leadership in the world. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Jim, for taking the time today to be oh, with you're us. You're so welcome. I really enjoy it. And Manny, isn't it fun? Because this conversation went in some ways a different direction than the first one we had. So we get to learn all new things because <laughs> of the techno- technical issues that came up the last time. So it's great fun for me to be with you again. Thank you very much. So we just heard Jim talk about conscious leadership, and one of the key elements of conscious leadership was feeling all the feelings. And now that is an important component of building our emotional strength and resilience. And as you can see, um, again and again, every great thinker, entrepreneur, philosopher, researcher, athlete, they've come to the same conclusion that mental and emotional strength, that toughness, that persistence, grit, whatever you want to call it, that's the single biggest indicator and predictor of success in every walk of life. And that is why we have created the 90-Day Mental Toughness video course. In this course, we summarize 40 of the greatest books on the topic of building mental toughness. You get daily videos and action items on the most important ideas from these books for 90 days every single day. And by the time you're done, you will have a complete tool set of over 90 great ideas to handle life's toughest challenges and situations and keep on going on. And instead of breaking down in the face of these adversities like 99% of the people do, you will instead face adversities and come out better and stronger. So this course goes live on August 15th, but you can sign up as an early adopter and get a huge discount. 
The course will be on sale for $99 when it goes live on August 15th. But right now, you can sign up as an early adopter and get it only for $69. That's a saving of $30. You can check out the course at 2000books.com slash tough. That's T-O-U-G-S, tough. Well, until next time, my friends, go out and live a courageous life.